Let's open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we, we come before you now and we've just been reminded uh, by this Bible story, Lord, of, the, of your goodness and sending your son Christ to, to fulfill the law perfectly, to, to be perfectly obedient to to take upon himself the imperfection of us, Lord. We, we've broken your commandments yet even this morning. And, but we, we sit here, Father, amazed and we rejoice that though we sin, you, you love us and you're patient with us and you're kind and you deal with us, Father, not in that sin, but in right relationship, having been granted to us by the blood of your Son. Oh, Father, we thank you for this gospel. We thank you that we can sit this morning and our hearts are, are warmed to it. Father, this week as we've gone about our time, as we've uh, encountered the different circumstances of each person's life here, as we've struggled with the sins that so easily beset each one of us. We come this morning, Father, rejoicing that we can be here, rejoicing that we can be with the body, rejoicing that we can come before you in prayer and, and praise and thanksgiving. And knowing, the Father, that as we, as we see our, our sin, if, if we simply confess it, you, you delight to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can restore that that relationship as a son and a father. Your love never having been broken. We rejoice to be with you this morning, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So we are, uh, for those who've not been here in a couple of weeks, this is the third uh, lesson on uh, this evangelism series that we're taking on. And we've taken our material from Capitol Hills Baptist Church, Mark Devers Church in Washington, D.C. And we're going to be looking at this morning is that you can see on your Hand out there the gospel. So we've looked at the last couple weeks, three weeks ago, we, we talked about uh, our role in evangelism. We discussed God's sovereignty and over salvation and simply the fact that he calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be faithful to proclaim the word. He, del- he uses us, but he is the one who is who's, who's sovereign over the, the changing of men's hearts. We talked about God's sovereignty teaching us to fully trust in his power to save sinners. In his power to save sinners. God's sovereignty reminding us that we, have, we should have no fear in evangelism. No fear. God's sovereignty should encourage faithful evangelism, not an excuse to neglect it. To encourage us to realize he's the one who does the work. We simply, he simply delights to use us as, as the messengers, as the tools. In today's lesson, we're going to be uh, looking at what we're supposed to proclaim. What is the gospel? Your, your handout has on uh, number one there on the front page, what does the gospel say? What does the Bible say about the gospel? And then if you flip over to the other side, it says, what does the Bible say the gospel is? And those are two very distinctive things. And then the third one, what else should we say when we share the gospel? Looking at a, at a right process by which we can follow. Certainly when we share the gospel, when we proclaim the gospel, there are different ways to do it and there are 
and, and time constraints or situations or where you're at or if you're in the grocery store just in the line and you have a few minutes as compared to sitting with a friend in their living room and having potentially hours to discuss. There's, there's many ways of going about it and there's deeper ways of going about it. But we want to give uh, a little bit of a, um, the, the third point there being a little bit of a good outline to follow no matter how short or long amount of time you have. But really the main point is we want to be able to make sure that we're clearly, we clearly understand the gospel so that we can clearly proclaim what it is. Number one, what does the Bible say about the gospel? Let me get a little audience participation here. When you hear the word gospel, what does that mean to you? What does that word mean? Christ's sacrifice on the cross. What else? Excuse me? Story of salvation. Good news. It means good news. Yes, it does. Anyone else? It, it's the essence <clears throat> of Christian belief. Essence of Christian belief. Center point. Center point. Good. It does literally mean, Lydia gets the A++, it does literally mean the, uh, the good news, the good news of what God has done through His Son, uh, Jesus Christ, to save sinners. But we want to Look at what the, the Bible, uh, y- how the Bible uses the word gospel. The Bible uses it 97 times in the New Testament, proclaiming the good news of Christ. And you may have some, um, some scriptures there printed on your handout, uh, not written out. The first one is Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm going to be reading those. I'll ask uh, some to read here in just a minute. But let me read this first one. Looking at what does the Bible say about the gospel, Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the gospel has, as you see there in Romans 1, 16, 17, the gospel has the power to save sinners. It is the, it is the power of God. The good, this is the good news that is the power that saves sinners. Saves, has saved us. Then you have uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 17. Can someone please flip there and read it for us? Read it nice and out loud. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Some translations would read, not with words of human wisdom. The gospel is not mere human wisdom. It's something that defies our understanding. We have no ability. Our logic cannot make sense of this good news. The gospel is not mere human wisdom. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Point being, there are false gospels. Thank you, Daniel. There are false gospels in the world that result in death, and this is something that we had to be very careful about because it, it, they're, they're, we're studying this in, in in Jude and First, Second, Third John. They're very subtle. These false gospels. Some of them 
Obviously, like uh, false religions are very um, plain to see. They don't have Christ at all. They don't believe that he's the son of God. But many of the gospels that are really false are very, very subtle. Think about it this way. You can do it if you put your mind to it. Well, that's a self-righteous gospel. I can just kind of pull myself up by, by the bootstraps here. Um, I, can, I can do this myself. If I really try hard, I'm okay, you're okay. Truth is relative. That's the postmodern world we live in. Truth is relative. It's a liberal gospel. Jesus will make your life better. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Will he make your life better? Oh yes, he'll make it better for eternity. But we take it to mean, well, I haven't gotten my new BMW, so then it's, I'm not as well as, Jesus is not fulfilling what I need to, to be doing here. The gospel isn't to make the world a better place. I think this is something that we're, the church is seeing now, this social gospel, that you know, if, if we can just get people fed, or we can just get people uh, out of human trafficking, or if we can just stand on the sidewalk and fight against abortion. All those things are terrific. I wouldn't decry any of them. But they're not as important as the gospel. So just saving someone from hunger, and we love to serve with Hill Country Daily Bread, but saving someone from hunger, hunger does not save them from hell. And that, but that, that helps us, doesn't it? Well, this person's, you know, they've, they were living in poverty and now they've got a good job and now their kids can be fed and now this and that. So I feel like I, I've, I've been able to minister to these people. But if we, don't, if we haven't ministered to the gospel to them, it's a false gospel. It's a, it's a social gospel. Number four, the gospel calls for a right response. The gospel calls for a right response. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And I'll read also 1 Peter 4.17, which says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The gospel calls for a right response, and the, the response is obedience. The obedience to Christ, the obedience to Scripture, the obedience to, call, to, to follow the commands that are laid out in Scripture. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We don't like this. It seems too much work-based. But that should be the, that's the proper response to the good news of Jesus Christ, is that there is a change from within by the power of the Holy Spirit that elicits Something completely different than what you were doing before. Over here was about me and my sin. And then over here, something completely different. I'm, it's no longer about me. It's about how can I glorify Christ? How can I m- imitate him? How, I can, how can I proclaim to the world the good news of Christ as Savior? The gospel calls for a right response and it's not merely a suggestion or an invitation. It's something that has to happen. This right response. If you flip over on your hand, before you flip over on your handouts, you'll see uh, a little spot here that says homework. We're not going to put any homework there today. Instead, I want you to take, uh, I'll give you three, four minutes to 12, to 10.05, four minutes. I want you to write out 
simply the gospel. Go. Time. Well done. I found this to be, uh, can be a very challenging, but also can be a very healthy uh, practice to sit there and write the gospel and write out what it means. You can certainly go uh, long in the narrative if you have time, or you can go very short. But we've, we've talked about what the, go- the Bible says about the gospel. It's the power to save sinners. It's not mere human wisdom. There are false gospels. It calls for a right response. But what does the Bible say the gospel is? So we're going to define it according to Scripture. But before we do, let me ask some of you to read, if you would be so... Uh, Rebecca looks like she's really interested in doing it. Let me ask, you, let's ask, let me ask some of you to read uh, what you've wrote down. And I would submit to you that knowing this audience, there's probably no one that has a wrong answer. Some may have it more fleshed out than others. But um, would some two or three read out what they wrote? Jackie. I'm expecting grace, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross that made a way for us to obtain Christ's righteousness, forgiveness of sins, and to live in freedom from the bondage of sin. The gospel allows us to come into God's presence with boldness and empowers us by the Holy Spirit to live a life that brings God glory and draws other to, others to him. Amen. Mark. God made a perfect world with perfect with people who would serve and worship Him. He gave them one command and a death warning. They broke it and died. Now all men sin and fall short of the glory of God. God sent His Son Jesus to save all men from their sins if they would believe in Him, repent of sin, and confess Him as Lord. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we must be clean to go to heaven. We must have Jesus to go to heaven. Amen. Tim? You read yours? <laughs> Ad-lib the last part. I said, we as human beings created in the image of God were made for, 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 for perfection went astray by sinning against the holy God and were separated from him. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment for our sin by dying on the cross and taking the wrath of God. Amen. Amen. One other? One more? Ah. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that has the power to save sinners. Amen. Amen. Good. What does the Bible say the gospel is? I think you have on your paper there printed 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Would somebody please read that out for us nice and loud? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Thank you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, you see three points on your outline there. Christ died and rose from the grave. Verses 3 and 4, you see that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Day 
according to the scriptures, pro- pro- the, the prophecies foretelling um, the coming of this Messiah and what would happen according to the scriptures. They were fulfilled. We see Christ died and rose from the dead, 3 and 4. Um, secondly, we see that Christ died for our sins. It wasn't simply that he just died. He died specifically, purposely for our sins. And that was foretold according to the scriptures as well. Verse 3 there. And then lastly, verses 1 and 2, we are saved if we receive and hold fast to the gospel. And the Bible clearly explains that to believe in Jesus does not mean a one-time decision, no other requirements. And I prayed this prayer when I was five years old. That's the testimony I personally have. But then, you know, Everything's good from then on out. Do what you like. Of course not. That, we know that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that this is not a one-time thing. It's certainly, it's certainly confessing your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but then the requirements, the, then the holding fast, as 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2 says, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Meaning, if you don't hold firmly, does that mean you lose it? No. But meaning, that's, that should be the testimony of one's life, is from from the point of salvation through to the point of their death, they walk in belief. They walk in uh, trusting. They walk in submission to, to Christ. They walk in imitation of Christ. In Mark eight thirty four and 35, Jesus stated, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So there is a there is there is a receiving that we do, and there's a holding that we do, and we rejoice as the hymn states that He will hold us fast when we uh, when our our grip slips, as it were. He will hold us fast, but we do receive this, and we do hold to it. That's the the testimony that we have for our life. Mark 1.15, the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The important question really for us this morning and for us that are desiring to learn how to proclaim the gospel better is how does one receive the gospel? We'll talk about this in a little, a little bit more in just a second, but the, the, the Bible is clear there's a repenting and a belief. Acts 2.37 and 38 when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, "Replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts three eighteen through 20 But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and then he may send the Messiah who has been anointed for you, even Jesus. We receive this gospel through the repenting and believing in Christ. Confessing with our mouth that he is Lord. But then that will be shown by our, our actions. If, if he has come and changed, there will be evidence of this. Third point, what else should we say when we share the gospel? What else should we say when we share the gospel? It's important when we talk with people about the gospel that we do so in a way that helps them to easily understand it. Because we can do it in a very confusing way. 
and you all wrote it out and you did a very good job and and that's the there's a there's an outline that you can c- sort of follow that helps you to make sure that you're proclaiming it in a way that is uh, not confusing. If we simply tell people that Jesus died for sins and rose from the grave, we've told them good news, but it lacks many details that really is is needed to help make sense of the message. People want to know, who is this Jesus? What are What are my sins? My brother is in Baylor, at Baylor and was talking with a, a young man on the football team who was a Muslim. And the, the, the man was just so weighed down with grief and so weighed, weighed down with uh, the burden of his sin. And he's, my brother's sharing with him. And this, the, 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 my brother said, have you ever heard of grace? He had no, he'd never heard the word you know, in the context of the gospel and had no idea what that meant. So people need to understand what are sins and why did he die for sins? If They need to understand more than just um, Jesus died for sins and rose from the grave. Now that's, 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 the, that's the essence. That's, that's really shortly the center of it. But there's so much more that can help make sense of some things. So there's, there's, a, there's a good outline that this material suggests and you see it on your page there. It starts with really the first word on almost each one of those uh, points one two three and four and the, the four points would be God man Jesus and response God man Jesus and then response let's start with the first one there the God who created the heavens and the earth made humanity to worship and fellowship with him it's uh, Mark started th- this way and so did Tim it is important to set up the gospel by proclaiming who this God is. He is the God of creation. He has created everything, and that's very important. Because in that creation of everything, there is, there is then the right, simply, the right that we would, um, we would be in right relationship with him. He's the, he, has the, he has the right to everything. Just as a child owes respect and honor to his parents simply because they are his parents, in the same way God's creation owe him respect and worship because he gave them life. It's important that God created. In the beginning, uh, Genesis 1.1, God was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is a personal God. He's not just simply, though, a God who's created everything and then he's going to sit there and you all, we all are supposed to give worship to him and this is just this cold, unfeeling deity that demands of us. No, God is a personal God who created humans not only to worship and serve him, but also to fellowship with him. 1 Corinthians 1.9, 1 John 1.13. There's this close, intimate fellowship that he desires with his creation. He created everything and he desires that creation to be in close, intimate fellowship with him. But there was a problem, wasn't there? Number two, man rebelled. Man has rebelled against God and become a slave to sin. And as a result, he stands under God's holy wrath and judgment. One of the key issues when you share the gospel, when you proclaim, is to help people understand or help answer the question, what am I saved from? 
Okay, this sin, you're saying it's bad. You're saying that God's the creation. God's a creator, that he desires fellowship with us, but that was broken for sin, and so I'm going to be punished. But what am I going to be saved from? A bad spanking? Just not getting what I want? Uh, am I going to be saved from poverty? Am I going to be saved from, you know, hell, whatever that is, as compared to not being able to get to heaven, whatever that is? But what we need to help them understand is that they've been saved, they've been rescued from, from two primary things. One, enslavement to sin. Enslavement to sin. Two, God's wrath and eternal judgment. Enslavement to sin and God's wrath and eternal judgment. Enslavement to sin, if you turn in your Bibles, turn with me if you would, to, over to Romans 5. Romans 5. When Adam rebelled against God, he opened the world to sin, which in turn resulted in death. Because Adam chose to serve sin rather than God, God gave Adam and consequently the rest of humanity over to our own sinful lust and desires to experience the corruption that sin brings. Romans 5. Somebody read for me verses 12 and 13. So we know according to Ephesians uh, 2, uh, Romans 8, that because of that sin, that first sin, Adam, mankind is enslaved. We're unable to obey. We are, we're bound in the chains of our sin. We're unable to respond. We're unable to obey as we, as we ought. Because of our natural disposition to sin, then, Every man and woman chooses freely to sin. Not only do we have the disposition to it, we then freely choose to do it. And we sin against the Lord, that the God, the Creator, who's holy and just and righteous. We sin against Him and then we sin against one another. The, second, the, the sin proclaimed in Scripture in Genesis there. Against Adam, uh, Cain and Abel. We sin against one another. So we're saved from this enslavement from sin, this, this, this bondage to sin. We're saved from that. As believers, we, we no longer have, we're not all, no longer enslaved to sin. But we're also saved from God's wrath and eternal judgment. God's wrath, we know according to Romans 1, 18, God's wrath rests on all people. He's holy and just. He hates sin and is angry with those who rebel against him. We don't like that. We think, well, this is a loving God. He wouldn't be angry. No, he's angry with those who rebel against him. His anger is simply delayed and then it will be unleashed in in its greatest intensity. That is what is to be most feared about hell. God will be there. People say, well, God's in heaven and Satan's in hell. God is in hell. But his, it's not his love that is there. It's his unadulterated wrath poured out upon those who have rebelled against him, those who have sinned against him. 
God will not ultimately allow sin to go unpunished. And in the present, God allows mankind to experience the consequences of its sin. And at the final judgment, will judge mankind according to his deeds and condemn the guilty to everlasting punishment in hell. God, he's the creator. Man came along and rebelled against him as God, the creator. We become a slave to sin. So we are... We are freed from, by Christ, enslavement to sin and God's wrath and eternal judgment. When you, can, when you have time and the ability to proclaim it that way, the weight of what Christ has done, which is where we go next, is, can really sink if it, the power of the Holy Spirit is moving upon that person. It really can, can drop upon them. Realizing, this is what I deserve. This is what I will get but what Christ has done. Number three, Jesus. The Son of God died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and now stands as the Lord who is able to save those who repent and condemn those who rebel. Many of you probably have heard the the gospel song, the song, the gospel song by Sovereign Grace. Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame. On the cross he took my sin by his death I live again. This this work of Christ for us on the cross is the highest is the high point of Scripture. It's the it's the hub by which everything goes out. It's it's the work of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, which is the centrality, which is the theme of Scripture. We're studying on Wednesday nights the life of Christ. This is uh, the theme we're going after, the theme that was proclaimed with Scripture, the theme is the glory of God in the redemption of man from the penalty of his sin, for his sin, through the life, death, and resurrection of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. The work of Christ being the pinnacle, being the high point of Scripture. Because of God's mercy and grace, he promised to make a way for humanity to be reconciled to him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those promises. He came and he was a man. He was born of a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in the place of sinners. He rose physically, physically rose from the grave in victory over the power of sin, over the power of Satan and death. God the Father exalted Jesus to his right hand as Lord of heaven and earth to wait for the day when he will return to judge the living and the dead and establish God's kingdom upon the earth. Christ Jesus came and saved sinners from this holy God, the creator of the earth. We are his creation. We've rebelled against him. We deserve nothing but death and enslavement to sin and his righteous wrath and eternal judgment and then Christ. God, man, Christ. Christ came to save us. But then, then this is, this is where believing in the sovereignty of God doesn't uh, absolve us from calling for a response. In fact, we should call for a response because we should expect and delight and pray and desire that as we are faithfully ministering the word to those that are lost, that God and his power will come upon that person and bring about a response and we should call for that response. 
That's the fourth point. We must respond to the gospel by turning from our sin and believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior to receive forgiveness of sin. Unable to respond, unable to turn without the power of the Holy Spirit, but calling for them to do so, expecting the Holy Spirit to be moving upon them. And this time before Jesus returns and judges the earth, God graciously offers salvation to those who repent from their sin and believe in Jesus. And we call this this biblical faith. Biblical faith implies trust and commitment to the person and work of Christ. And this faith is, uh, is different than other belief and faith. We can have faith and belief in that there was George Washington and he was the first president of the United States and so forth and so on. But that's different. We don't, we don't, that's not going to change the way we live our lives. Belief in Jesus should transform the way we live our daily lives. Belief in George Washington would not transform the way we live our daily lives. Belief in Jesus should and does. When we repent of our sin and believe in Christ, God forgives our sin. This means he cancels the debt of our sin against him and gives us his Holy Spirit to renew and transform our lives. This salvation is a gift of grace which we could never earn or deserve. There is a call for us to respond and we should call for those that we're sharing the gospel to respond, to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit within them. In closing, there's when we're one of the thing, one of the points that comes up in this response is number one, how do you respond? Do you have them pray a prayer? Um, do you have them call upon the Lord? What what is the proper response? Well, scripturally, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There's there's only one instance in Scripture where there seems to be a potential prayer, but nowhere else in Scripture do we have to find that you're to pray. Now, that's a, I, I think that's a wonderful way to respond to what uh, the Holy Spirit does inside of a person and to call on the Lord to be saved. Is it necessary? No. I think it's a wonderful step. I think it can and should be done. Praying should be something done, but that prayer certainly is not going to be the, the saving point, portion of this gospel presentation. It's going to be believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So then the question is, well, if I didn't pray the prayer or if I did pray the prayer or if I prayed it when I was really young or if I prayed it when I was, when I was immature, what about whether, am I really saved? And this whole question of assurance of salvation comes up. How can we be assured of our salvation. I just want to make this point, the, the outline makes this, or the uh, notes make this point, and I, I think it's very wise to make. Assurance comes from contemplation of Christ, from trusting Him to fulfill His promises of salvation and eternal life. The issue of assurance does not deal with the daily struggle to obey Jesus and have 100% faith. The Apostle Paul gives a strong warning when he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us, 2 Timothy 2. He then follows this sobering warning by saying, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Though we may struggle and doubt and question our walk with the Lord, Jesus remains faithful. Denial of Jesus, however, does not bring assurance. Having assurance has to do with being with Jesus. As John says, he who has the Son has life, He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you are with Jesus, then you have assurance of eternal life. That's why it's so important that as a believer, we walk with Jesus. Because that's that's implicit to the gospel. 
that we walk with Jesus. And when a, when a person's walking with Jesus, they're in his word, they're with the body of Christ, they're partaking in the, in the, the, the means of grace, praying and discipleship, proclaiming the word. Rarely, very, very, very rarely does that person ever struggle with assurance because they're walking with Jesus. On um, Wednesday of this week, I had the opportunity to speak at a Christian school here at their chapel. And my point was Acts 4, where Peter and John are before the, uh, the council and they've just healed the, main, the man lame from birth. And they're asking him, you know, what power did you do this? And he says, in the power of Christ alone. And he proclaims this word, 5,000 men alone come to the Lord. But then the council, I find it very interesting, in verse 13 of Acts 4, look it up later on if you desire. They are amazed because they perceived that these were uneducated common men and that they had been with Jesus. That was the defining matter in these men's lives. Not that they had the education, not that they were somehow outstanding, but they had been with Jesus. And as we walk with Jesus daily, and as we encourage those who come to Christ, walk with Jesus, imitate Christ. How do you know how to imitate Christ unless you walk with him? Assurance is there. If you are with Jesus, then you have assurance of eternal life. So, we've looked at what does the gospel say, what does the Bible say about the gospel, what does the gospel say the gospel is, and what else should we say when we share the gospel? God man Christ response. And that's that's the God man Christ response is not something that we we get away from. That's something that that is encouraging in worship privately and corporately. Uh when we're planning the worship service, we're really trying uh, to move toward that sort of liturgy that when we're singing these songs and we're reading scripture in the main service, we can go from this is today you'll see it. Um this, the, sing the mighty power of God. That's how we're going to start this morning. Sing the mighty power of God. And then going to man and then Christ. And then that should elicit a praise response. As we see what he has done for us. So this is something that we continue to do. Even as believers. Next week we will uh, look at the gospel and your testimony. So what happened to you? The gospel and your testimony. And you would find it uh, probably helpful in preparation. If you have time to sit down this week. And write out your testimony. Um, that's one of the most powerful things you can do is if you have time with someone to share your testimony with them. Share what God has done in you. Give them a, uh, giving a, give them a living, breathing example of the power of Christ to save from sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning and the opportunity to have looked at the gospel. And Father, it is, uh, it is a wonder That you, you have not sent us all to, to hell, to die. Your love, Father, is more than we can comprehend. We cannot fathom, Father. We in our own human, our, our human wisdom have no ability to understand why a perfect, holy God who's created all things and, and so beautifully created all things, so wonderfully created all things. Watch that creation rebel against you and then yet you sent your Son to restore fellowship with that creation. 
for that you might gain glory and that we might gain good. Father, we are we are astonished that at that, and yet, Father, I know my heart is not as astonished as I should be. So I pray, Father, that as we study this class on evangelism, as we read the scriptures this week, that our hearts, all of our hearts, Father, would be very much um, really warmed, really um, brought once again to the reality of this work of Christ upon our behalf that will stir us and and, um, draw us and drive us to, to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would see once again uh, the work that has been, been done for us upon our behalf uh, undeservingly and then proclaim that. Trusting in your sovereignty to do the work of saving. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We ask now for our time of fellowship and preparation for a uh, time of worship. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.